0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go.
1: Hi, I am Jen Cole. I am the community manager for Social Media Examiner and the co-founder of Depict Media. And
2: this is Making a Marketer. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Glau of EGCX Group, and you can find the links to all my socials at egcxgroup.com, and this is Making a Marketer.
0: Hello, hello. I am Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing. Twitter is the best place to find me, at Megan Powers, and this is episode 32 of Making a Marketer. Well, we have two powerful guests today. Once again, it's an all-woman panel. I love it. It doesn't have to be Women's History Month or whatever to have such a thing be the case. So very excited that this show came together. Today we have Christy LaMagna. That's
3: exactly right. Yes.
0: And Good Lisa job. Meller. Welcome, ladies. Good
4: to Thank see you. you. Thank you all.
0: Okay. So I'm going to do a little sponsor and then I'll read you our guest bios. This show is sponsored by powers of marketing and we provide strategic communication, consulting and execution for small to medium sized businesses, especially in the meetings and events industry, but not exclusively. So, okay. Christy is CEO and Master Strategist at Strategic Meetings and Events. Christy is a professional speaker, writer, coach, and proud owner of Strategic Meetings and Events. Her team produces goal-driven event investments that support sales cycles and bring marketing messages to life. Love it. They turn events into revenue boosters for elite sales and marketing professionals. Christy's the author of the Strategic Planning Guide for Event Professionals, which was published in November. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And Lisa is Managing Director of Mellor Performance Events Group. Lisa is an expert corporate event designer, connector, and sourcing resourcer. Her original inspiration and spark came from her personally achieving her first President's Club Group Travel Award in the direct sales industry with creative memories. She realized the impact of inspiring and motivating people through rewarding motivational experiences, a different approach to improving lives from her field of study, which was cancer research. Wow. Okay. You are officially my hero if you weren't already. And our topic today is marketing's role in incentivizing performance. So we have obviously two wonderful guests on that front. Elizabeth, you want to kick it off?
2: Yeah. So on that note, Lisa, why don't you tell us more about that President's Club experience in a way that kind of kicks this off and explains what incentive programs are?
4: Okay, that's a great that's a great question, especially because it was my primary motivator as I got out of the cancer research industry, where I had hoped that I would be able to inspire lives and, and touch people and make a difference. I realized quickly that it's actually through gathering people and through touching them in the heart where you really have your greatest results. So years ago in my past, as my kids were really little, I ran my own drug sales business. I was part of the Creative Memories Organization, and they do millions of dollars in in business. They're, they're, They're not sure where they're at today, but they're still around over 25 years later. And what was so fascinating about that is that they really motivated me, helped motivate me by providing the training, the tools and the culture of excellence that helped me to achieve my own sales goals. I was able to get my business really strongly off the ground and actually become a repetitive award winner and a leader within the organization in a short amount of time. And part of it was because they had a really well-structured incentive travel program, quarterly goals. I hit my little marks. I went through my own ups, and downs. I remember receiving all of the teasers, the gifts, the you're on track or the, hey, you can still do it messages. And I was able to earn an experience that I would have never been able to create for myself at that time. I would have never had the money. My husband and I would never have spent the money in that way. Small children at home, but it was one of those things that left such a positive impact on me. And it was so rewarding and so personalized for us. I really felt like a VIP. I felt so appreciated. And I said, you know what? That's it. I found my calling. I want to help people feel like I feel. I want to help companies create these experiences so that their people feel like I feel. And the bottom line profitability skyrocketed through the roof for that organization, as it has for so many over the past several decades. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. So, Christy, do you have anything to add to kind of how we would explain what incentive programs are to people that might be a little unfamiliar?
3: I think, Lisa. Did a fabulous job explaining what they are and, and more importantly, what they do. And I think that what, the only thing that we, I would add is that whereas some people look at incentives as for the salespeople and extra, I think it is an integral and essential part of a corporate culture and a sales experience because to Lisa's point, it motivated her and it got her excited and it kept her on track. I think incentive programs are one of the single most important investments a company can make. It's not a boondoggle, it's a
4: must do. I have a comment on that, if I could jump in too. Yeah. It was really, really interesting about the, the business case, of course. But first backing up, so in, incentive travel, really we should stop and define what that is. This is one of the means, one of the highest return on investment means of being able to create a situation where you've got reward, recognition, appreciation, all wrapped into one and that the travel piece of it is the most experiential. So it's the most engaging of all of the ways that you can reward and recognize because it's cash. That's one way to do it. Right. And then of course, we've got gifting and merchandise and we've got individual travel and we have incentive travel and incentive travel carries the greatest weight with the highest ROI. So group incentive travel especially is what we're talking about. So you're creating a travel-based experience that is not just that one couple, going to Tahiti, for example. It is everyone earns this group travel experience and we're all going to experience it together and bring people together for what essentially the company pays for from your air to your meals, your activities, your overnight lodging and accommodations and little gifts and goodies and tchotchkes that, you know, that might go along with it. So that's what we're really talking about. So we should bring that back. And then it's interesting because the trends. I was just looking at a trend study 2019 in the Incentive Research Foundation site, which I recommend to everyone. Go to theirf.org for some great case studies. But current trends show that 84% of businesses now use non cash rewards, which group incentive travel is, and that the suite at the C suite is really focused on creating a talent culture that is aimed at building relationships, encouraging inclusion and encouraging mind share and also promote engagement. So this is, you know, 84% of businesses now using this. It's pretty significant to see this trend growing, you know, in this way. And another thing to think about is that the increment, it's about incremental improvement and incremental spend. This should not be something that the company is just paying for, but that is a result of taking a piece of the extra profitability and then using it for an incentive travel program. So it should be self funded, is actually the goal.
1: That's all really, really cool. Never really thought of travel as an incentive, but that is absolutely true. I would totally be down for that.
4: <laughs> don't you love, don't you think about, I can't wait to go on vacation. I can't wait to be there. You're already buying your clothes weeks in advance. You know, you're picking out your all white outfit or in your cabana stuff. I mean, it's just how we work. <laughs> yeah, that is a really cool thing to bring up. So
1: Chrissy, what are other ways to incentivize employees and why do you think that it matters?
4: So
3: I think when, again, Lisa, going back to her experience as a salesperson and how it encouraged the messaging that she got and the culture that was created, encouraged her to grow a better business. Salespeople as a rule are very competitive and they like to be recognized. And in order to do that, you have to do more than just plan an incentive trip. We know that people need constant reinforcement, constant communication. So again, we go back to culture by creating a sales meeting where you're going to give these salespeople the tools that they need. The incentive obviously rewards them for that, but training throughout the year, constant messaging, and a culture where it's okay to ask a question, where executives make themselves available for key meetings so that they can come in and help close. A culture that supports the entire sales process, not just shows up for the incentive trip, toasts them, and then says, you know, hit your numbers at a boy, at a girl, and that's it. So another great way to incentivize your employees is by being there throughout the entire process and giving them the tools they need, whether that's a sales meeting, informal communication, access to you, skip level meetings so that you can skip your boss and go to your boss's boss to have conversations, truly making a supportive culture. And if you're planning meetings strategically, it all just falls into place. It's not an effort. It's all just, it's congruent across everything you do.
4: I have another comment actually on that too, because she she brought up some really good points, you know, on um, being, you know, for example, recognition. And I was thinking as a way of motivating people, recognition is actually one of the tools in itself. Mm-hmm. So people don't just need, you know, give me a gift card, give me a something. You can't just throw someone, hey, here's a $25 gift card to Starbucks or Chili's and expect them to feel rewarded or motivated. Instead, it has to be Wow. I mean, just delivery alone can make, can motivate people. They just want that time in front of the executive or to feel that they're appreciated. It can even be cheap. It can be their name in lights, uh recognition in a company meeting on a Monday and say, Hey, Joan did a fantastic job. would all like to raise a hand to her. That costs nothing, but that actually motivates people. I realized that I was motivated by being on stage. I really, I'm a competitor And I just wanted to find a way to earn my opportunity to have someone say, hey, that was an awesome job that you did. And I realized as I was sitting in the audience one year um, at one of those direct sales organizations that I would have been happy actually if they would have just put my name in lights. Mm -hmm. Simple. It's my love
0: language. My words of affirmation is my, is my, pri- is my highest love language. So yeah, for me, I also love to travel. So then I'm super competitive. So that would be a motivation too, but I'm right there with you. Like yeah, yeah. just like, here, anytime I get a pat on the back and, and getting it in front of people is even more, and that's not for everyone, right? Like some people don't like, they want to be recognized, but they don't want to be put in the spotlight or whatever, but I'm like, whoop.
4: <laughs> right, but it is, but that's it. it's finding it's finding those various ways that people do feel appreciated. And you know, it's part of even even maybe even during the hiring process as people are trying to you know understand what kind of things motivate you. How do you like to be recognized? How do you like to be appreciated? because what works for one person can absolutely just you know be the the motive of a someone, someone else another. yeah, it
3: absolutely can. Like some people would you might be the person who perhaps gets a letter. Dear Lisa so proud of you. You pitch your numbers again for the eighth quarter in a row, like just a signed letter from a boss for some people is the way to go. And, You had just mentioned something about what people are interviewing. If you go back to the culture and Megan, you had just said, you know, what's your highest love language? How do you like to be recognized and rewarded? And to ask that simple question so that Lisa is on stage, Megan gets the letter, Jen gets the tchotchke and, you know, Elizabeth gets a statue and it's, could be the same amount of worth to each person and
4: value regardless of how it is expressed. So it's good to know those things about your group. In that mindset, Really for marketers, I think the point is that you're always trying to get inside someone's head, right? So you Mm -hmm. understand their buying behavior, understand why they do things, and then you work to create tools and opportunities and communications plans that hit those marks. Yeah. So this is something that as we think about it, you know, the role of recognition, the role of programs, and the role of reward, you know, essentially in driving behavior is really the point of why this is important and events tend to fall under what marketing needs to do but there's you know different strategies that we would probably want to employ as well if we've got whether we're working with employees within our own organization because that's a sell you know to get them motivated but also our customers and our partners and, you know, in our best clients, suppliers, vendors, you know, as we want them to partner. So anything that we want to do where we want to, to drive people to change their behavior, to do something different, mm-hmm. something above and beyond is part of the language of incentives, motivation, and recognition.
0: Awesome. Okay. So Lisa, can you tell us about the halo effect?
4: Yes, I can. It actually relates uh-huh. a lot to what Christy was saying. And that's in, in that... One of the top most cited values that most employees actually place on their, you know, their um, experiential or their motivation factors are um, related to this concept that if a leader, the CEO, the president, chairman of the board, somebody actually spends time with someone and shows them that, hey, Joan, I really appreciate you. I'd love to hear from you. Why don't you? come and sit with me for a few moments and and let's just talk and get to know one another. I'd love to hear your ideas, you've done some really great things or just shows a little bit of love and appreciation. It's amazing that just having that experience with leadership is the highest rated value. And that means that when we're designing a program, whether it's an onsite on a group travel incentive program, for example, leadership needs to join in, be a part of that cocktail cruise with them. Sit down with people, make hand, you know, shake hands and actually make them feel one-on-one that they are special. That can also go back to just time in the office, well, before a trip is planned, whatever, and making them feel better. But the halo effect means that it's actually compounded. It's not just the transactional thank you or that feeling. It's that, that they will actually be more loyal to you or to the executive, to the brand, to the company, to everything, just because they feel special. So that's, it's, it's like they've got this golden halo around them, like an awe uh, moment.
3: People Love want it. to be seen and want to be recognized, and they want to know that they're appreciated.
0: For sure. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that that starts in marketing. Well, it starts with the culture, but then marketing, you know, being that driving force to implement it, it's, it's important.
1: Agreed.
3: Absolutely. And the other thing I just want to touch on very quickly is this isn't something that marketers should just reserve for salespeople because everyone in the organization is important. So if you have a phenomenal admin or you should have, depending on the corporate structure, that anyone can be nominated to go or anyone who hits all their goals. So the person in HR should be eligible because it's not just about your sales team. Everyone is required to make the engine go. So we continue, even in our conversations, to talk about salespeople, but it should be looked at as any employee has the opportunity to be recognized because you need all of them.
4: That's a great point. And teams. Yeah. 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 I I think that's the common misconception is that it's often limited to sales. And that can actually be quite demotivating for some people in the organization. And really what, what teams, corporate cultures need to be looking at is how much does everybody's job impact our bottom line? If the team on the assembly line is a ton more efficient and whips out those tires way faster, they're not in the dealership, for example. But those guys are the ones that are actually getting the product out faster and their incremental improvement has actually improved the bottom line. So that's one of the tasks that you know the C-suite in general would would need to work out and, and to really take a look at. But it is highly motivating for the rest of the company to actually see that they too can earn an opportunity to do something amazing. And maybe people are working in teams. Teen A is really leading the way. It could be a combination of all the people that are involved, not just the sales guy. But sometimes there can be an actual backfire effect if people feel like they have no opportunity to win. Those guys always get it. I never have a chance. That can actually be detrimental to a culture, so it needs to be delicately balanced.
3: Yeah. And if you want to talk about loyalty, take someone who doesn't expect to get recognized and who's only making, you know, $50,000 a year on a trip to Tahiti, which you know they would never get to go on because they're a phenomenal, insert title here, you want to talk about loyalty and the halo effect, that halo will burn all year long. Very bright. Yeah.
1: So since we, we mentioned culture just a couple seconds ago, how does access to leadership play into the motivational factor of the incentive? Well, Why don't we start with Lisa and then go to Christy?
4: It has to start with it from the top. I mean, it's one of those things that leadership has to have the buy-in. They can't just expect that uh, their mid-level managers are going to make all the difference. It really has to come top down. So if, um, if the leaders aren't buying in and they don't have a supportive culture and an inclusive culture, uh, really feel that everybody's making a difference, your program is probably doomed. I mean, it really does need to be spoken at all levels and to be structured in at all levels as well.
3: And it has to be authentic. You can't have a CEO dial it in. It's, oh, I'm so very proud of you. This is great. It truly has to be genuine. And if you give, I had a, a client who was about to cancel their incentive trip and they brought in my team and said... This is our last year doing this. We keep throwing more money at it. We keep getting worse reviews. And we were earlier talking about getting people to change their behavior. If you give people what they want, they will do what you want. And events are the opportunity to shape what people feel, think, say, and do. So, but you have to ask people what it is that they want. So instead of giving them this incredible trip and just focusing on the trip, we paused and said, what is it that you want from this trip? And the executives were like, they're ungrateful. They're, there's no pleasing them. We spend all this money and they're just ungrateful. And what they wanted. So when the executives got there, they all scattered and disappeared and spent time with their wives and looked at it as a vacation. And the exec, the, the rest of the team is saying, so we're here and we haven't seen anyone. And so we're all just hanging out with each other. What's you know, I could have gone to TD because I make enough money because I'm a salesperson without you. And they were so frustrated when they would leave those meetings because they felt like you brought me all the way here to blow me off. The executives were saying, I brought you all the way here and you didn't say thank you. And it was just this horrible miscommunication. But going back to if you pause and remember that it's not about you. And as we market to our external customers, we need to remember that our internal clients behave the same way and need to react the same way to messaging. So you can't just give someone a perfunctory, hey, great job, and assume that their behavior is going to change or that they're going to feel motivated. You need to market internally just with as much intention and effort as you market to your external audience. Otherwise, it doesn't work. I'm the same human when someone's trying to sell me tomato sauce as I am when my CEO is trying to tell me that I'm valued as part of my company. So but there seems to be this disconnect that- <laughs> Reminds reminds really me different. of
2: uh, some other guests that we had on. We have a whole show on H2H with uh, <laughs> Brian and Courtney Kramer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> I'll have <laughs> to link, link to that for a refresher on that one. Perfect. Yeah, I love that story when I was chatting with you two earlier, that story about how, you know, really, again, it, it probably comes down to your love language and what kind of appreciation you want. But access to leadership, you know, is is a huge thing. And yeah, that that story you told of- you know, giving them that access, so, yeah, and that like costs kind of yeah, cost exactly. them extra that's money. The part of the yeah. whole right, of the whole yeah. thing, right? And it's right. Like the thing that's you know the most valuable. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about okay, so let's say you don't have this you know perfect scenario where the C-suite you know gets it necessarily, and you're you're trying to talk to them about this. How do you think like the C-suite and speak their language when it comes to your role as a marketing manager, Christy? Let's start with you on this one.
3: So. Basically, the if there's one question that everyone asks themselves before they do anything at all, from whether or not they brush their teeth in the morning to they go to apply for a new job, and the question is, what's in it for me? So if you are not the answer to what's in it for me, someone will do something else, including I would rather go to sleep. So when you think about how we as marketers get the attention of the C-suite, we cannot go to them and say, I need, I want to... I don't have, go to them and say, here's what incentive trips do for this organization. Here's why you need to invest in. And if you go to them with what's in it for them and you bring them, I am going to be a solution to a problem or an offer of something better than what you currently have. You speak their language by being the answer to how am I going to contribute to the bottom line, reduce churn, add value. So if you go in saying... Incentive trips are actually one of the highest motivating elements in your toolbox. And if we cancel an incentive trip, okay, you may save $500,000, but Lisa, you had said productivity went up 84% with the group that that you worked with. So it cost us $500,000 to do the trip, but I can actually demonstrate to you that if we do this strategically, the company will make an additional 1.2 million. So you speak the language of the executives by understanding it. So it's not about you, it's about them. And what solution do you bring to them? And if you speak to them about their values and what their goals are, then they will listen to you.
4: I'll comment on that. Yes, stats speak. They want quick bullet points. They want to know how it's going to how everything relates back to improving the value. So, if we in loyalty and engagement, then therefore it translates into X profitability, for example, and that's what they're looking at. So, I, this is interesting because. Um, in some research that I had done previously, there was a Gallup poll that studied engagement, employee engagement, and it showed that when you saw an incremental increase of ten percent measurement in engagement, you saw twenty two higher percent profitability for the company. So you have a direct correlation and translation there, which I think is really powerful to take a look at. And it has an, an example when, when people feel valued, there's a great uh, case study for Cox Cable. So that 89% of employees felt that the incentive program was highly valuable. That year, they had increased profit by greater than $9 million over their original goals simply by focusing on a morale and engagement, and, not, and those were traditionally non-sales goals. So that's where you have like these kind of case studies, stats, proven track records showing that it's work actually garners their attention and now they will listen to you.
0: For sure, yeah. I mean, stats, stats, stats. Money, money, money. Speaking of money.
4: <laughs> Here, money. Here we go. Money talks. Talk. Here comes
0: the money. We're we're about the halfway point and we like to do a little brain break. And so our brain break today is a uh, tax day is coming up. And so we'll go around the horn and everyone can share it. This might might be like a confessional. I know it is for me, whether you get your just done early or if you procrastinate. So I personally don't have my appointment until Friday. (gasps) And they're due on Monday. So, I mean, because he gets them done. Basically, I just have to do the work, right? I have to, like, I have to come to him with the numbers. He plugs them in, and then it's like, it just gets done, right? So it's not like, but I just wanted to, you know, put off for as humanly possible as how much I owe, (laughs) if I'm honest. (laughs) Christy, what about you?
3: I actually, because I have turned anal retentive into an art form, have the folder and just bring it to the accountant, and I will pick everything up on Friday because he's a little bit behind. But oh. no, my stuff has been in and done, and I've got my number, and I've come to peace with it, sort of. And <laughs> <laughs> so my attitude is I want to put it off, but I just, I, you know, you always wait like, so what's the number, what's the number, what's the number? And I just want that done. So it takes a while to come to peace
0: with the number. So. <laughs> That's fair. What about you, Lisa?
4: Okay, so I'll be totally honest with you guys too. In the past, been very on it, but it was a much easier when I had, when I was working for a company than it is when we have so many write-offs and so many things going in and out. And so I actually had another accounting team actually take a look at and review my books for this last year. So literally just like, you know, down to the wire, we're finally getting all the numbers in, but I just want to make sure that with the nature of, you know, having open my own business and my own doors in the last year and a half that I do it properly because that was the first full calendar year. So yes, cutting it down to the wire myself, but I'm, I'm promising that won't be the case next year.
0: Well, the IRS doesn't need to have my money for any longer than I need them to have. So that's kind of how I look at it too. Like, yeah, I could have the numbers done and then send the check on the fifteenth. But um, have you ever done the drive-through at midnight, like up to midnight?
4: No, no.
0: I did in college. It was really, it was really funny. Actually, it was quite entertaining. So yeah, we went down there and drove and did the drive-through, and they were like. I just, hundreds of, and of course, I was a college student. I was like, you all are adults. What are you doing down here?
4: <laughs> well, we've typically raced to get them done because in the last several years, we've had refunds. So, of course, we want our money from the government as right. fast as possible. This year, I'm a little bit more nervous because I did pay quarterly. So, it's like, oh, I have to yeah,
2: yeah, that's kinda where I'm plan. at. Like I'll do uh, I'll do a rough calculation to see if I'm gonna have a refund or if I'm gonna pay. <laughs> and and at that's what <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I'm a refund, like I'm gonna get this done and get that money. But if I have to pay then I might
0: drag my feet a little bit. <laughs> Jen, what about you? Well,
1: uh, um I, I like to get it done. Usually, I have the folder, I'm all ready to go, and I'm collecting as I as things come in the mail. And then, you know, we would take them on base and have the you know the guy on base do it magically for us, and not have to worry about it. This is a little bit different, <laughs> but it's getting done, and it, we're getting it done, so that's great. And then, depict media has had to file an extension, so it's kind of a it's a it's a weird year.
0: Yeah. Oh, that just reminded me. <sighs> I didn't pay the one that's due in March, that piece that's due in March, darn it. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) moving on.
4: (laughs) Oh, The tax code changed a lot on everybody. So, you know, there's a lot of considerations out there. Uh,
2: That's awesome. All right. So jumping back into uh, what we're here to talk about today. Lisa, why do you think it's important for marketing to think of their internal staff as an important audience? I think we've touched on this a little bit, but expand upon that a little bit. Why is, why is marketing to your team just as important?
4: Gosh, that's a great question. Everybody's motivated to either perform or not to perform. You're in there's, there's going to be a choice that people make every single day. So internally, whether marketing is coordinating with human resources or whatever internal department, I think it's critical that everyone's taking a look at what are we communicating and how are we communicating it? Because what's passed down internally and that internal or that, that feeling of, hey, we're excited to be at work today because we feel valued and appreciated translates to how they might communicate with their customers. So I think that's where the translation actually really begins happy people the inside will definitely make a difference on happy people on the outside so if they want to increase their profitability they really need to keep their people excited to perform because you want everyone's looking to cut numbers well i wouldn't say everyone most people want these days to get more out of their internal people right you want that one person to do the job of one and a half people and the only way that you're going to get their attention and their focus is if they feel internally really appreciated really valued and like they really make a difference in the world and then it's tying to some of their core values otherwise you know just because someone's sitting at a desk doesn't mean they're getting anything done or that they're really they're they're really engaged and they might uh, that's a whole lot of great ideas exactly
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that 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 just ties you know that's almost i think i think in there somewhere you even had like a definition of culture right it ties again back to the the culture of the company what do you think christy I think
3: too that uh, there there are absolute studies that show that the cost of keeping an employee is significantly less than bringing in a new employee. Every time you lose a person, the cost of that is tremendous. So if you value the people who you have and you can keep them, because even the, the body of knowledge that they leave with is significant and they may go to a competitor. So there's so much value in the people who you have already hired, already trained, who already know your product. And can then act as spokespe- a spokesperson for your organization because every time somebody leaves, chances are they're leaving because they were unhappy, which means that's a little bit of press that you don't need out there that's speaking, you know, not necessarily positively about you. And how often do you hear people say, you know, gosh, I, I love the people I work with, which is why I've stayed so long? So if you know that even They're hesitant to leave when they're in a bad situation because they love the people. Imagine if you give them a place where they want to come to work. In addition to the people they love working with, you can have lifetime employees. And what's more valuable than someone who's been there since the beginning or who's been with you for 15 years? And when you have a new client or you're hiring someone, and you say, "Well, Elizabeth's been with us for 15 years. Megan, God, is it almost your 20-year anniversary? Holy cow! And Jen, well, Jen's kind of new. She's only been here eight. It speaks so much." to the organization and the culture, it kind of just sells itself. And it allows you to be more competitive when you hire, because we don't have that much turnover because people don't want to leave here. And it allows you to be more selective. So it's, you are not spending money on your employees, you are investing in your organization. When you invest in your employees, you are investing in your organization. And to not to do so is at your own financial
4: peril. a couple of comments. Totally, I love what you just said on that, Christy. Um, With, you know, for behavioral science actually, you know, looks at, you know, these needs analysis and I have some buzzwords that I think, you know, be really relevant for people to keep in mind with, with anything that we're doing. And that's that people need to feel optimistic, engaged, aligned with the mission, with the goals Mm -hmm. and with one another, they need to feel connected, truly connected, like they're on the same page. They value loyalty, they value being appreciated, comfortable, secure, Mm -hmm. joyful grateful, and they want to have and be a part of a legacy. So we need to think about what is it that we're that for marketing, for example, what's the role in that? Okay, well, are the the tools, the programs, the experiences that you're designing, are they centered around those key needs analyses for people? Because more often than not, that's going to actually drive that behavior. People today are lonely, they're feeling less connected. So superficial relationships are lacking depth. People really want to feel that there's a purpose to what they're doing, and you know they want to be part of something bigger. So that's that's the message we have to send.
3: And Lisa, to your point, if you were to go into an organization and say to the majority of the people who work there, "What are your corporation's strategic goals for this year? What are your financial plans? What are the three most important things that this organization has been tasked with to achieve in 2019?" How many of them actually know the answer to that question?
4: I think they don't know the mission. I mean, it's not not
3: often communicated enough. Yeah. No, no. So as we market, we need to understand, to your point, I want to be part of a legacy. I I need to know what that legacy is, and I need to know what this year's chapter is towards achieving that legacy. And people
4: don't know, and I can't contribute if I don't understand what it is that I'm trying to do. Right. How does the company and what they do make a difference? Because when people are looking to hire... You know, they want people, of course, that align with that. But I think, when, you know, people are also looking to work for and work with a company that helps them get more out of the human experience. And that's really what we're trying to do.
3: And how does my piece help in that overall picture?
4: Right.
1: Um, Christy, tell us about the rule of seven. How do you apply it to these programs?
3: So, it's again, so we're talking to marketers, which means everyone knows the rule of seven is that, and this is pre social media, that people need to be exposed to a message seven times before they're compelled to take action. So, you know, again, going back to tomato sauce, I might need to see an ad for tomato sauce seven times before I would be inclined to go out and try, you know, switch from one brand to another. What's ironic is that when we create meetings, whether they be incentives, sales meetings, town halls, we bring people together, we give them a message. We may or may not spend a tremendous amount of money on a speaker who we bring in. We give them this message for, let's imagine, 45 minutes for a speaker. And then either everyone disassembles or someone who takes the stage. And we just assume somehow that because we've given them this message at a meeting, suddenly they're gonna be changed. Yet we're spending how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on marketing because we know you need to hear something seven times. But somehow when we put people in a ballroom, we imagine that the magic bullet theory suddenly applies. And we as, as marketers or salespeople tend to get frustrated and say, look, I spent all this money on a six figure speaker and nobody's behavior changed. Well, you understand marketing If you put, you know, you pay George Clooney to do one ad one time for your product and sales don't go up, that wasn't George Clooney's fault. It was (laughs) was your strategy or a lack of strategy. So we blame meetings for not being effective, but a meeting is supposed to be one of many pieces of communication throughout the year at a moment in time in an unbroken communication cycle. So the rule of seven Has to apply internally just as much as it does externally. Because if you can't help me understand what it is that was so important to bring us all together to talk about, is and give me an opportunity to reinforce that learning, the meeting truly is then a wasted effort because you're not reinforcing the message that was so important. Why did you bring me here if you're only going to let me hear this once? If I'm going to bring in Lisa to speak, I need to also say to Lisa, I need 12 pieces of snackable content or videos or something to give my audience for the rest of the year, because I'm gonna be very engaged when I hear Lisa speak for 45 minutes, but then I go back to work on Monday and real life takes over and I have no reminders of everything she's taught me. So, I mean, Lisa, I would imagine you've experienced that. And
4: (laughs) You just brought to light. Uh, It wasn't just what we say and how often Mm -hmm. we say it. You have to actually create these experiences that demonstrate what your message is. For example, if you're trying to say to your people, you're a VIP to me. You're valuable to me. We appreciate you. We recognize you. Primary example of that. Let's say that that's your message. And so you design this great incentive trip, like kind of like the one that you had shared where, you know, the CEO was baffled. I don't know. I understand why they didn't appreciate it. Now imagine you're trying to communicate the message is you're important to me. People then go on the trip. the first experience that they have can run in a couple different ways. They have to get off the bus and they have to be greeted, for example. Mm-hmm. Do they just they schlep off the bus, taxi took them in, they get to the hotel, can't find where they're really going, where's the check-in desk? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, nobody's there to greet them. I don't know this hotel is huge. I have no idea where the welcome reception is tonight. I you know I didn't really I don't really know where I'm going. That is a bad start. Mm-hmm. very different from people come off the bus, the hotel, because we've done this for our programs as well. Hotel has a red carpet out. Everybody's clapping as people are getting off. They're greeted. They're escorted to the check-in area. They receive a, a goodie bag. They're Someone tells them, we're happy to escort you to your room. Please meet us at the welcome reception tonight. Come down at your leisure. We'll have cocktails. It's a totally different experience versus just being dropped off. And that actually happened to me last year on an event where I was a guest. And I went, wow, you guys completely missed the mark mm-hmm. on this. So it has to be, you say it and you do it and you have to live it and feel it.
0: Yeah. And this actually it makes me think about how like, I did my master's thesis on face-to-face versus online communication Mm -hmm. uh, within the context of trade shows specifically, but really everyone was addressing meetings and events in general. And this goes back to like the seven, it's not about one or the other, it's about a continual. And I I would say like somebody can make an impression on a person once, and then that might stick with them as a face-to-face experience. But generally it's touch points before it's that face-to-face it's going to that event every year, so that you see those same people to then maybe one day get the opportunity at the business because all of those touch points, seven, 17, 27, mm-hmm. are helping to build that relationship to build that know, like, and trust over time, which, you know, can be internally with incentive stuff or, you know, with the events that we're all putting on.
3: And if you, to Lisa's point, if you think about if you abandoned logistics for a minute and you think about the goal of this event and Lisa said, used the example of you know this particular incentive is going to be you are important to me. So if you now know that the goal of this event is to make sure that every person who is there feels valued and to celebrate them. Now when you go back to logistics every single thing you do has to trace back to does this make the person feel important. So Lisa's experience if they were doing that the minute they started okay Lisa arrives at the airport okay Is there someone there with a sign that has her name on it? No, okay, we need to change that. And if you go through the logistics with a strategic focus and everything is goal-oriented, everything you do has to achieve that goal. And if it doesn't, you're either wasting money on something or you're missing a really key component it was my company doing the program. So you, you figure you, you pretty much know what's going on because it's your program. And the, my lead strategist, when I got in my car at five o'clock in the morning to leave the program, in the window in the town car was my name, but it said something like, you did a great job, have a wonderful trip home in the town car. I was like, oh my, like everything is an opportunity. And I was delighted by the creativity of somebody on my team but it's everything you do is an opportunity to make that person feel important.
0: Right? For sure. Actually, this goes to the, my next question that I had was expanding on the timeline of these incentive programs a little bit. The essential elements, you know, when, and when do they happen? The before and after communication pieces, like you just mentioned one as an after. Lisa, do you want to take a stab sure. at this?
4: Sure. I think what's exciting about events Actually, is that you really have an opportunity to extend what I call like the, the bell curve of experience mm-hmm. So instead of just a, a, a peak or a spike in the middle uh, Where it's just like say the the trip or the thing that you do the recognition moment where you hand off something like, you know An award on stage really it's the anticipation And it's the memory thereafter and you want to create buzz around that from start mm-hmm. to end if let's say they have a one year, you know, say life cycle on it, you want to start that marketing and those messages early. Save the date! You're going to be so excited! Woohoo! We can't wait to announce it. Qualifications come out soon. Set your sights. You know, blah blah blah, and maybe they get like a um, a my time mix in the mail you know, at home to their wife or, or spouse, for example. And then everybody starts saying, ooh, what's this all about? This sounds really great, right? So build excitement. Keep those ongoing communications and reminders as you launch your website, launch the activities, launch things, reminders, recognition, leaderboards, but keep it going and keep things fresh all the way through. Start to build that so that you have a momentum going into the event. And then, of course, that should be the pinnacle. You're going to create all kinds of Instagrammable moments, which everybody wants these days. And they're going to feel that that recognition, that, uh, that camaraderie. You want them to go home still talking about it. Three months later, they can't believe they're still talking about it. Remember when we did that? That was so fun. Sharing pictures with family. And then even create perhaps an online community of people who are now friends or who have connected in ways that they never had before, that could be employees, you know, for example. But there should be a touch point that continues to go back to that program. Same for meetings. If there was a training program, three, six months later, how is that training working for you? How are you doing? How have you implemented it? So that's the idea is that you create the event as a hub and spoke, or as like that, out of which all the other communications and the elements are going to be centered around that. But it should be, and then if it's an ongoing, You just roll that excitement right into the next year.
3: I completely agree. One of the things that we like to do is when you first get to your destination, oftentimes you'll see at the airport there'll be a big sign, you know, welcome to XYZ. And so, what we'll do on the way out, it'll say, thanks so much for a great week. Looking forward to seeing you next year. And then when you get home, You've got a week's worth of mail, dirty laundry. So we make sure that there's a gift waiting for that person when they get home to say, just wanted to thank you again. You know, And to your point, Lisa, throughout the year, like we'll do, if it's an incentive trip in April and it's someplace warm, we have ready to go the first time it, it snows anywhere in any of the regions that we're going, that we have clients in, a gift goes out. Or we've had hotels set up a camera so that you could see the water on the beach and you know, take a, a relaxation break because here's the view from the roof of such and such a hotel, which is where we hope you get to be in April or May or whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be expensive. Like you, Lisa, you were saying like a my time mix. Okay, that's and it's just that little bit. And also by, Lisa, you had mentioned by sending something home, whoever that spouse is, when I'm out late at a sales call or traveling, my spouse, is inconvenienced by that, and to build a culture even within your employees' homes so that when I am out, my spouse says to me, You know what? Definitely want to go to Fiji, travel for a few more days because I need to go back on that trip. Sure, babe. I love you. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to I get by <laughs> Well, because it's true though, because it's not just the salesperson who does the work and they don't do it in a vacuum. And even if I'm single and I bring my sister, I bring my mother, I bring who, you have somebody else saying, Hey, Lise, how are you doing on those sales goals? Elizabeth's definitely going. I don't want Elizabeth to go if I don't get to go. So, you know, you, you need to again, market internally because the culture extends beyond your office doors it's really what people are doing when they're not in your office too that makes a difference as a single
0: person if you paid to have someone do my laundry after i got back that would be like huge oh, wouldn't incentive. that be great <laughs> <laughs> i don't
2: know yeah, all right for those of us that don't have a wife stuff, you
4: know, but... hey my husband actually says we need a wife because that's always on my even though no, i work from home I, you know, I always have this like long-standing joke that basically says for my new year's resolutions, I'm going to do laundry in the middle of the day and it never happens. So never
0: yeah,
2: happens. hashtag, hashtag get a wife.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Uh, on that point though, we, you know, we talk about spouses. I just want to say, I do have a client that for years Every third year, they actually bring the entire company and all of their families, all their immediate nuclear families, because they know that what really motivates them is family time and an opportunity to connect with their spouse, with their kids. And so they foster an entire corporate retreat that is extremely family centric and it's um, it's one of the most unusual ones because of the expense and the cost incurred, but that's something that they do every year, and then they do smaller programs that are more spousal-based on the off years, so it
2: happens. Yeah, well, that's great. So, Christy, what are some tips for motivating your B team to get to the A team? To move the middle? Yeah, or no, move the middle. Exactly, that's a good way to. Uh,
3: very, very few people want to be second best. Some people truly are okay with that. And I just don't want to work any harder than I'm working. So the way to motivate someone is if I'm only performing to, uh, I'm not performing at peak capacity, something is missing. So if you, again, it's not about you. And if you give me what I want, I will give you what you want. So in doing what I like to call data discovery and being able to say, you know, Jen, you were in the, the, top you know 10 percentile last year and this year you know your 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 numbers are half what can I do? Is it, you know, do you need more training? How can I help you? And taking the time to actually find out what people need and then give it to them. And Jen may say, you know what, my mom is sick. and Okay, well, what if we did flex time? And, you know, the, the answer could be very simple, but to acknowledge someone and going back, Lisa and I were talking about, you know, make someone feel recognized. That doesn't have to be an award or an attaboy. It could be, Jen, it feels like you know, I see your numbers are slipping. That's not like you. What's going on? How can I help? And that can make someone feel motivated and recognized because it doesn't have to be what I have accomplished. It could be what I'm not accomplishing. And how does the company support you and get you to where you want to be? Because Jen doesn't want to not be in the top 10 percentile again. So clearly she's unhappy. So motivate her by caring and not just, you didn't make the trip and now you're on probation. And and that's what companies will do is, up. Uh, Jen, you know, if you don't hit your numbers, you're on probation. That's not a motivator. And why didn't you try and inter- intercede? And Megan may need more hands-on training on a particular piece of software where Lisa may be struggling because she needs to have a key executive at important meetings to help close. And so again, it's not one size fits all. So you can incent people by give them what they want, which doesn't necessarily cost anything, and make them feel recognized and saying, Jen, you are in the top 10 percentile again this year what are we doing that works really well? And would you be willing to mentor someone? Because that's an out of girl for Jen and then it helps someone else. And having the people who are there help the people who aren't. And if you go back to, it's a tribe instead of a team. So Jen doesn't feel threatened by teaching me something. Then if we're all coming together because it's our organization towards a legacy as opposed to you against me or us against them, then Jen can mentor someone, and taking the time out of your day to say, "Lisa, what can I do to help you?" It goes back to being recognized, and that's the most motivational thing that you can you can do for someone,
4: in my opinion. Lisa, do you have a, a different oh, take I, on that, or no, not not really. I just have kind of some corollaries or some afterthoughts. I would say to to add to that. I think some companies make a mistake by always appealing to their A-level players, right? So you know that those guys or those gals are always gonna do it. They're always in the top. And then that can actually be a demotivator for the rest of the company because they're like, oh, those guys are always gonna get it. I'm never gonna be in the top 10. I'm never gonna be in the, even in the top 10%. So some strategies that others have taken to try to move the B players is, uh, first of all, to make your program, design it to be open-ended. So yeah. it doesn't matter. It's like if everybody who achieves X goals. And they may be individual goals too. That might be the thing. Not everybody has the same goals in order to motivate them. But if everybody achieves their number or their performance or their KPI, then you can go on the trip. So people say, hey, I can do that because I'm not going to worry about what the other 20 top folks are going to do. I can go too. So that's important. Make it inclusive. We talked about maybe having it more than just sales, but being based on teams and individual mm-hmm. KPIs right? It might be that your newbies have a structure that's slightly different from your senior level players. For example, Mm -hmm. like an indirect sales organization where Mm -hmm. um, not everybody has the same number. It also needs to be achievable. If people feel it's achievable, B players will play if they have the tools, like you had mentioned. Culture Mm -hmm. supported. Another strategy might be to tear out a program. So maybe not everybody earns the big grand Pumbaa, you know, trip, but there's also a tiered trip. Maybe it's not the one to Tahiti, but instead they're going to San Diego, for example, on a three night program and not a whole weekend or Europe or Europe. So there's there's that and phasing it out. So it could also be that you structure it so that maybe there's a combination of some gifting, some merchandising, some flex time or other personal rewards like you had mentioned. I love that idea. And then others could be, you know, you know, could be a tiered trip with uh, whether they include their spouse or they, they um, are going on their own or whatever it might be, but there's, there could even be some buy-in. So I think it's, it's really thinking about getting in the B players' heads, Mm -hmm. you know, and what do they want and finding those ways to appeal to them through their, their tools. That's what's going to move the middle.
3: Absolutely. And we as marketers know that free samples work so oftentimes if you're bringing in and you you in this particular example would just for salespeople everybody goes in their first year on the trip so they understand what they're missing they understand who the key players are and they want to be a part of that club so here's your free sample next year you have to earn it and to your point incremental it may be year over year my goal i need to grow by x so i'm competing against myself not against lisa which again goes back to corporate culture because we're all doing our part to achieve a goal, but we're not competing against each other. Now, of course, we are always going to be competitive and Lisa was 10% above her goal, so I want to get to 11, but it's more about individual achievements instead of pitting people against each other.
4: That's a trend I think today, though, um, it, you know, really more so than ever is that people really want it to be people centric and they want it to be focused on them. It's individuality mm-hmm. goes into the way that we design the programs and the experiences themselves, too. Of course, there's a combination of group experiences, but if we don't give them personal choice, they're going to tune out. So we have to think about that at all layers. Agreed. Yeah,
1: I feel like this entire episode has been so motivating. Like everything that you guys have saying—if I, if I worked for companies that were doing these things, I'd be like, "Yes, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm staying forever. I'm a lifer." I can't even yep. that. Awesome. <laughs> Christy, are there demotivating factors to watch out for, and how do you tackle them?
3: Sure, um, and I think Lisa and I have have both mentioned. I mean, if it's if the goals that you set for me are not realistic, if only certain people are invited to participate if, again, you give me these lofty goals, but there are no support tools for them. So we go to the sales meeting and you need to increase by, everybody needs to increase their goal by X and here's three days of training. And then you go back to your office and say, but now what do I do? Bringing people somewhere and then ignoring them, like we talked about for the incentive trip that I was on. So what demotivates people is when the focus is no longer on what's in it for them. And it becomes about me because who's everybody's favorite subject to talk about themselves. And what's the least interesting thing to you is looking at pictures of somebody else's kids because your kids are cuter. So the minute the company forgets to do the like your baby is beautiful and just starts talking about their own, they lose the attention and they get demotivated because I want it to be about me because that's what's important. So the best way to demotivate people is like, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. You know, some companies. (laughs) so. Yeah, you have to make it about them.
4: Great analogies. (laughs) Lisa, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I have one more. And it it has to do with compensation. So one thing we have to be really careful of is that these programs can't be tied to compensation or an expectation of compensation. Compensation is what you do for your daily job, like your regular Mm -hmm. responsibilities. And there are standards. And your reward is you keep your job. Right. Like, the, you know, that's that's part of it. So these need to be uh, for above and beyond the call of duty, you know, sorts of things. The minute that we equate these types of programs, whether it's, you know, it's gifting, travel and merchandise to just doing your job. If you take it away, you're actually in danger. You're in danger of destroying the corporate culture and you're in danger of demotivating people. Because when a program actually goes away, and that that has been equated with compensation in some way. There's been a, a, a pretty sizable decrease in engagement and then therefore in, in productivity and therefore in profitability. So it's just something to bear in mind.
3: And one thing I'm, I'm gonna add really quick, if I hit my goal, and it's October. So I already know that I've qualified for the trip and year end closes out the 31st. It's important when you create these trips to have add-ons. So you're flying coach, unless you, if you hit X, then you can fly business or you get to come in a day earlier or something. Because if, if you have overachieved and you've still got a few months left, you want to make sure that you continue to give people a reason to beat their own, you know, best because there's something else in it for them.
4: I love That's that. part of the structuring the tier. And I think mm-hmm. the, you said it a little more clearly than I did, which I, which I really appreciate. There's actually, this is an interesting point that I, I shared in one of my presentations to a group. There was an INRF study that said that men and women will forego between, get this, 10 or 15 and thirty thousand dollars of their what they would consider compensation to go on a president's club trip if it meant working deals to close them at times when the deadline dates are kind of you know skewed so for example if they're like hey if I push my number so that I hit it here and I get to go on the trip even though I might be compensated later with the lack of a bonus because you know my qualifying number um, didn't fall on the calendar, you know, quarter the way that it should have. People will actually do that. So they will trade in a dollar value for this experience. And it was actually men that gave up 30 and women gave up 15. So what's interesting is that your trip almost guaranteed didn't cost you that much per person. So you have a higher value actually in doing say the president's club trip than in just having their hit their mark.
0: That's fascinating. And I I felt like it seemed like, well, you know, 2008, 2009 was a really tough time. And I think uh, some of this stuff, some of this stuff went away, but it's really nice to hear the value to hear the numbers. And, and hopefully everyone who's listened to this will really take heed and and go back to their organizations. And, and then, you know, working with women like yourselves who, who do such an incredible job at, obviously you're, you know what you're talking about and you've walked the walk. So that's pretty awesome. Okay. So. We're going to finish on one final question that, I, that when we have time, I like to ask. And um, it's, it's slightly selfish because it gives me things to, to look at. And so I want to know from uh, Lisa and Christy, what are you hot on these days in terms of tech, gadgets, apps? It doesn't have to be new. Something that's like either enjoyable or just helping you do your job better? Or, or is there anything that you would recommend to our listeners that you're uh, excited about?
3: Lisa, do you want to go first? I'm, I'm seeing sure. you head. So You know
4: what? It's, it's, I'm laughing at this because, you know, apps and there's a lot of technology out there. Of course, I can think of a, a, a ton of different fun project management tools and things that I use. And, and I love my smartphone because I can work on the go. You know what? I'm down for personal notes. We go back to personal thank you notes, handwritten notes, little, hey, I was just thinking about yous. And, and honestly, that's where I think I'm getting the most value is just by handwritten notes and even on site
3: personalized notes make a big, huge difference. I'm a huge fan of personalized notes. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I'm going to go in a completely different direction and give everyone the greatest uh, app ever created, no matter what you do. So all of us have been in a situation where we need to call someone, but really don't want to talk to them, but you no, know, you can't text them. So whether it's, if you're dating and you want to blow off dinner, but you don't have to talk to the person or it's a client, <laughs> it's a client you can't stand, but you need it. You know, you need to call them, but you really don't want to talk to them. There is something called sly dial where you dial this number and then it connects you to their voicemail automatically. So I get to say, Oh, Elizabeth, I'm so sorry. I missed you. Just wanted to, and you know what? I'm about to run into a meeting. So you're probably not going to be able to call me back. So sorry. I missed you. And you will, Always, always, always get their voicemail, but you get credit for making the phone call.
4: It's <laughs> for your mother-in-law, awesome. for an ex. It's just the greatest thing. <laughs> the mother-in-law. You, know, the <laughs> time, you do, it's true that You want to call and, and sometimes you're like, oh, I know this person is such a talker and I really don't have yes. time or mind space right now, but I wanted the personal touch. So um, <laughs> what a great little tool. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah. Especially because everyone you know, the text is just such an easy way out these days. Yes. So, and being able to actually hear a voice, I like that a lot. I actually heard about this the other day, but it was really in the context of business and trying to get sales and having a way to, you know, have it be very quite personal, but not, you know, yeah. So, but I like it for personal too. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. awesome. It's well, fabulous. thank you so much, Christy and Lisa. This has been so enlightening. And I know that our listeners are going to get a ton out of it. Thank you also to Elizabeth and Jen, my rock star co hosts. As always, this has been episode 32 Marketing's Role in Incentivizing Performance. And we will catch you next time.